0: Though and I, I haven't been here in like five weeks or something like that, but um, uh, but I know uh, Lisa uh, back here is, is is with us. Is it Lisa? Linda, Linda, Linda. I apologize. Linda's here with us, she's new. And uh, uh Linda, I'm gonna have you go around and shake everybody's hand, okay? No, I'm kidding, I'm, I'm teasing you, I'm teasing you. Um, but for those who are visiting with us, stick around for a few minutes afterwards because we really would like to have the opportunity to to come around and, and uh, visit with you, and see you for a minute, get to know you. Um, it, it, let's begin this morning with a, just a quick prayer, a quick prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this time. And Lord, I, I love this, this people. God, we, uh, we come before you because we, we just want to be in your presence. We, we, um, we've been talking about this idea of, of upreach and inreach and outreach. And, and so, Father, in, in the spirit of upreach, we just, we just present ourselves before you this morning with hands lifted up, with open, empty hands because we just want to receive from heaven. We want to receive that love that just pours forth from your throne. And God, we pray that you would just let that love just transform us on the inside so that that we might be like Christ. Live in us, Father, through the presence of your Holy Spirit so that we might turn our praises back up toward heaven like we did this morning. And Lord, I pray that 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 same love that you've given us will then begin to change the relationships that happen inside this room. And I pray, Father, that they won't be just like any kind of relationships, but they will be Holy Spirit-inspired, divine relationships, God, um, that, so that we might encourage one another to be the people you've called us to be. And God, be with this empty, this broken vessel this morning uh, called Tim Brown. And I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, God, so that I might faithfully deliver your word, despite sometimes how hard it is to come out of my lips. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to just make a, a, a quick comment. Would you all agree with me that, um, that we are very much living in a time of great division? You know, you turn on the news, you, you watch the news at night. I, don't, I actually don't watch a lot of news anymore. Every now and then I'll check the headlines because um, it, it's, it's honestly very depressing. It's very clear to me, in my opinion, that we are really no longer living in the United States of America. We're very much living in the divided states of America. And, and you know, the, the divisions go across all kinds of different lines. There's racial divisions that you see all the time that's happening now. There's uh, social divisions. There's economic divisions. Um, would you agree there's political divisions? That's nasty. It's some of the worst I have ever, ever seen in my opinion. Now, I've been here 43 years. Some of you have been here a little bit longer, but it's just it's very bad. And it seems like with every single news cycle that comes out that we're constantly being pulled in one way or another, in one direction or another. Do you, do you support wearing masks or do you not support wearing masks? You, are you okay with the vaccine or are you against the vaccine? Are you a Republican or are you a, a, a Democrat? Do you support more recent news? Are you guys are aware of the trucking convoy up in Canada. Are you for that? Are you against that? And it seems like, again, every time you turn on the news, it's, it's like they're trying to pull us apart. And I can't help but see that through spiritual eyes and remember that united we stand and divided we fall. And I very much believe that the enemy uses that and he uses these emotional touch points in all of these different areas of our lives to drive that wedge to tear people apart. He does it not only in the world. He does it, obviously, in the church. He does it in marriages. He does it with people's lives. This morning, I want to continue this discussion of inReach and specifically talk about this, this topic of unity because I want to talk further about a couple of more things that we started to build last week. Last week, we started talking about what biblical unity is. This morning, I want to bring out a couple of more insights or or ways of thinking about unity and division in the church. Um, Last Sunday, if you remember, we talked about how unity, how true biblical unity is not something that man creates. We agreed on that, right? There's no way for us to take the Bible, in my opinion... And, and boil it down to a list of principles that we can all agree on so that we can be united. I don't think that that's how God envisioned unity to work. What we saw last week is that unity is a gift from God. It is a part of that gift of the Holy Spirit that we talked about that we receive from Him when we're baptized into Him. The Bible tells us in John chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, He says, I have given them the glory. Now stop right there. What's the glory? He defines it for you. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me. Well, let's ask the question. What is the glory that he gave him? Keep reading. That they may be one as we are one. He says, in heaven there exists a relationship, a community. Somebody said, uh, boy, I bet God was lonely all those years. No, he wasn't. God has never been alone. He has always existed in a divine community of love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's glory, right? Could you imagine seeing that relationship in its totality? That would be glorious. And Jesus says, for my church, for my people, for you and me this morning, I have given them that same glory that we have in heaven. Are you following me? I have given them that glory that you gave me that they may be one even as we are one verse 23 I and them and you and me so that the result will be when they live this they will be brought to complete unity and he says when that happens when the church owns and lives the glory that it's been given, when it responds to the the, the call of heaven, when it begins to live the love relationship that we have been blessed with from heaven, it says, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So as we experience together this shared reality of the Holy Spirit, this shared intimacy with Jesus and the Father, the Spirit miraculously over time, he begins to to author that same love inside of us, that same deep connection between people. So according to Jesus, unity for his followers is not based upon uniformity of thought, it's not based upon whether or not when we get together, we're with like people, right? The same kinds of people. My goodness, think about the disciples. Talk about a ragtag bunch of, you know, a motley crew of people, right? Do you think that they agreed on everything? Do you think that they agreed doctrinally on everything? I can tell you right now they didn't. I can tell you that Simon the Zealot had a completely different theology than, than John the fisherman, Okay. They had had differences of opinion, differences of thought. So it's not whether we are with the same kinds of people. Biblical unity is based upon whether or not, listen carefully, we as Christians have a supernatural, genuine love for each other. That's what unity is based on. Unity is based on love. As followers of Jesus, it's how we treat each other that he's talking about right here that's the glory that we've been given it's a glory that we get to have the ability to live out heavenly principles and heavenly life right now even in this dark world but we don't see it a lot do we we don't see it a lot in our churches today it's about whether or not we're on the same page with Jesus. It's about uh, are we following him? Are we modeling our lives after his? Are we seeking to do the things that he did? Are we seeking to say the things that he said? And most importantly, are we seeking to, uh, to allow him to live his life through us? Because, see, that's what it's about. We tend to forget that, especially in churches that have not been taught a lot about the Holy Spirit. It's not about you one of, my, one of my mentors growing up, one of my best mentors, he said, listen, the, the quicker you learn this lesson, the quicker your life is going to be a whole lot more peaceful. Everything is always all about God. Everything is always all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. So biblical unity, real unity is based 100% on Jesus. I want us to change the paradigm of how we think about unity because you and I have been brought up in the belief that unity is based upon adherence to doctrines. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that doctrine is not important. In fact, I'm going to get into something in a minute and I'm going to show you just how important doctrine really is. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have to change the paradigm of our thinking because unity, biblically speaking, is based upon a supernatural presence that moves us to love one another with a love from heaven. And that's different. Now, I think it's important. Um, John chapter 17, verse 17. Uh, Go back. Oh, then I messed it up. One day. Is this the right sign? I have no idea where I'm at right now. You know what? Forget it. Just, just stay with me for a minute because I know that the next slide is right, okay? So we're going to catch up to the slides right here. John 17, verse 17. The Bible says, sanctify them, set them apart. My people, set them apart by truth. Oh, I know what happened. I got my notes mixed up. Ha! That's what happened. My bad. I forgot what happened is I, I printed my notes on front and back, and I don't ever do that. So normally I just go note, 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 but I printed it on front and back, so I forgot my notes. Y'all forgive me. Gosh, you know, I swear. Okay, now, last Sunday, we started talking about the, the, what the purpose of unity is, right? What's the purpose of unity? If you remember, we talked about the why of unity, and we said that the why of unity is love, so that the world might believe, right? That's why he's doing it. That's why we live in unity, so that the world might believe, okay? Now, we can do the right scripture, John chapter 13, 34 through 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Another quick scripture. And if you'll give me a moment, I'm going to take a sip. My mouth is very dry today. We saw in John chapter 17... Verses 20 through 21, Jesus said, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And we agreed that that included us so that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that again, what does he say? The world will believe that you have sent me. Listen very carefully, church. Why does God want us to love each other and be one? Because he wants the world to see and experience the love of God through us. Isn't that amazing? It's one thing for us to stand on a street corner and say, God so loved the world, he died for you. It's another thing to live in a community where we do the hard work of living it out so that we can show them that it's not just words on a page. It's a life that's lived. When we live in love and unity, like it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, when we're living together without bitterness and rage and anger, when we're being kind and tenderhearted toward one another, when we're forgiving others as God has forgiven us, that then becomes the power that draws other people to the church. Because what they do is they, they, they see that there is a miracle happening locally in, in their community. And this is where unbelievers look at us and say, you know what, I want to be a part of whatever is going on over there. So, the why of unity, then, if I can get it up here, the why of unity, the why of unity is through love. What's that? Oh, I thought was Caleb's over talking to me. The why of unity is through love. Now, next week, um, let me just say this. Let's let's go forward. This morning, I want to push this forward a little bit more, and I want to talk not so much about the why of unity. We understand that the why of unity is love, so that the world might believe, right? That's why we're doing this. This morning, I want to push that forward a little further and talk about the how of unity. How he's going to do this is through truth. Is through truth. Um, John chapter 16, verse 13. The Bible says that when he... That is, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the what? Truth. Again, unity is not something that man creates. It's created by the Holy Spirit. It's rooted in God's love, but it's based on truth. And so Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So if we're talking about walking in the Holy Spirit and and he's the spirit of truth, then that means that our unity, Christian unity, has to be rooted not in just how we feel about other people. It has to be rooted and based upon the truth. And if you think about it, that goes with agape kind of love, isn't it? What is agape kind of love? When we talk about love, the love that we receive from heaven, that's the kind of love we receive. It's a love that wants what's best, for someone else according to God's standards right well when you think about it um, that that's exactly what truth is about when we're unified we want to be unified based upon truth based upon the perimeters of God's standards God has given a a series of boundaries that we call the Bible and if you live within those boundaries you will thrive as a person you will thrive in your marriage, you will thrive in your finances, you will thrive in your community, you will thrive in every sense of the way that you can possibly thrive if you live within the boundaries of God's truth. But see, the problem is, is that we try sometimes to find unity based upon how we feel about one another only and not truth. And that's not what God reveals to us. Now, I think it's really important that we talk about this because when I think about truth, there's different levels of truth, right? Right? There are, for example, what I call the essential doctrinal truths of the gospel, right? And and these are, it's like Ephesians chapter four that we read a little bit earlier. These are the big ones. These are the ones that that Paul says that you know there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God, there's one Spirit, there's one hope, there's one resurrection. Those are non-negotiables, right? We don't we don't uh, we don't we don't mess around with those truths. You know, as a Christian, we don't get to come in here and say, I want to be a part of this community, but you know what? I don't really think the resurrection happened, right? Okay, so we, we, don't, we don't buy that. There is a truth that we adhere to, right? And then there's what I, I call... Oh, I had to pop up here. Then there's what I call important truths and moral truths. Now, don't misunderstand me. Because I wrote the word important, that does not mean that they are not necessarily essential, Okay? Understand the difference. When I say important, I mean, for example, like moral truths. You shall not kill, you shall murder, you shall not commit false, you not, not bear false witness and types of things. Now listen, I'm not saying they're not essential. But with these truths, we have to understand that we have to grow in them. We have to grow in them. Which means that you and I have to have grace for one another as we walk them out. And then they have what we call peripheral doctrines, right? For example, um, the resurrection... And the return of Christ, that's a core truth, isn't it? You don't, you, don't, you don't deny those things. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He's returning again to, to bring about the final redemption of, of mankind. Okay, But how is he going to return? Is there going to be a rapture? Is there going to be an antichrist? Is amillennialism true? Is preterism true? How is it all going to work out? What are the details? How does that prophecy fit with this prophecy? Well, now we're getting into truths that are important, but they're peripheral. <laughs> Right? The main thing is Jesus is coming back, we're going to be raised from the dead. But an important truth is, how is that going to happen? But we have to understand there's a difference between the two. Now, check this out. Also, we have to realize that when it comes to this second category of important truths and moral truths, we're not all together on the same page, are we? You know, you'll have somebody that took 20 years to arrive at an understanding of something. And then as soon as they arrive at that understanding, they go and try to proselytize everybody else and say that if you don't agree with this particular thing, then you're wrong. You're going to go to hell or whatever it may be. Listen, don't shortchange the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. Just because you have arrived at a truth that you hold to be dear, it's okay if you share it, but don't impose it upon somebody else because that may not be what God's working on in their life. See what I'm saying? We have to trust the process of the Holy Spirit inside of our fellowship. Because too often what happens is, is that we've arrived at a place that we think that we, we need to be morally. I'm using moral issues now, moral truths. And because I've arrived at a certain place morally, I then look down upon somebody else who's not achieved the same level of morality that I have. Remember the grace that God gave you for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years to get your act together. And have grace for them too. Amen. Amen? Come on, somebody. That old preacher you say, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And then there are this last category of truths that I call opinions and strategies. And this is just how I feel about stuff. You know, I use the example sometimes. That I don't really like, what is this, burgundy? I don't like burgundy carpet. I wish we had blue you know, I don't care. I really don't. I'm mean, say, but, but these are just opinions or strategies. This is how I think that we should do outreach. No, this is how I think we should do outreach. Or uh, This is how we should organize this. No, this is how we should organize this. There's all these different ways that we think things should happen or these ways in which we think essential doctrinal truths should be understood or important moral truths should be lived out. But here's the thing. Have you noticed where Satan attacks us most? Does he attack us the most on number one? Not really. I don't see a lot of churches out there arguing about the deity of Jesus anymore. We pretty much all agree he's God in the flesh. But you know where Satan attacks us the most? He attacks us the most on number three. He attacks us the most on number three. And this is important to understand because what that means is, is that at the level that matters the least, we will often take the strongest stance. And here's another thing, guys. Listen, as long as I've lived in the churches of Christ, and, and this is true not only in the churches of Christ, this is true for churches all over the place, is that where we have split the most, where we have fought and argued the most, is number three. Two and three, but, but mainly number three. Our goal as Christians should be, number one, to stand united upon the rock-solid truths that you can build your life on of ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 there is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all, in all through all and in all we can all agree on that this morning and say amen. amen i can hang my hat on those truths but then at the same time as we stand in that truth together we then pursue the important truths of the bible But we pursue them with grace because we know that we've got to grow into them morally, moral truths or better understanding of other peripheral doctrinal truths. And then in love, we also seek um, to allow others to have their own journey of discovery in the Holy Spirit. Amen. And, and uh, Paul's body language over in First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, I think helps us here, where Paul says that everybody, everybody is like parts of a body. There's not one single part of the body that's unimportant. There's not one single person in this room that's not unimportant to God's kingdom. You have an integral role to play. There's things that only you can do that God has called you to do, and that's why you're here this morning. But then finally, when it comes to opinions and strategies... This, church, is where we have got to be humble. Because sometimes what happens is is that people think that their opinion is an essential core doctrine. Don't they? Or, Or they think that their strategy is the best way, and they're not willing to hear anybody else on the matter. You know, one of the things that God taught me a long time ago as a preacher is don't seek to try to be the person that's in the front row. Don't try to seek to be the person that all eyes are on me. You know why? Because my role is not to be some type of celebrity or be the guy that everybody recognizes or whatever. My role is to be your servant. My role is to find ways to take out a towel and a bowl and to wash your feet. And you know what that means? That means sometimes, even if you have the better idea or the better opinion, you keep your mouth shut because you allow other people to have the grace to be able to grow in those things. And there's times when I even know that somebody else is going to make a decision that's not the best one. And you know what? You let them make it. Because you have to allow people to learn how to grow in the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest problems that I think church leaders have today is they're control freaks, man. We want to control it all. And we think that if, if, because we're the professionals and we've got the degrees, that if we can just organize a church in the right way, then people are going to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And I've learned in 20 years that's not the case. You have to let the Spirit take the lead. And that's the last thing that I want to talk about this morning, and that's this. As we pursue unity in the church, as we at the Eastside Church family pursue unity in this congregation, one of the most important things that we're going to have to do, is to keep our flesh in check. We're gonna to have to keep our flesh in check. Because let me tell you, where we go wrong often is when we start fighting over number three and we haven't learned as Christians how to keep our flesh in check. Am I preaching to somebody this morning? Because let me tell you something, before your toes ever hurt, mine were stinging. Okay? Mine were stinging. But let me, let me say a few things on this really quick. Um, as we pursue unity in the church, as we navigate these essential core doctrines and important truths, as we seek to live out and grow in the moral truths and, and, and work out the different opinions and strategies, one of the things that we have to do is make sure that our flesh is kept under subjection to the Holy Spirit. The main thing that gets in the way is the flesh. Listen to this. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out for your own interests, but each of you looking out for the interest of others. Let me tell you something. The flesh does not like that. The flesh doesn't like it. Because biblical unity is all about what? It's all about selflessness. It's all about, you know, you know, here's what I want, but Roxanne, you want that? Okay, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you because I, I love you in Christ. And, and I have to believe that because God is in her, maybe God's doing something in her that I don't know about, right? So, so the flesh doesn't like it. It wants to assert itself, doesn't it? It wants to have its own way. And if you don't, you know, let me show you how this works. Remember the last time you got in an argument with somebody? You, remember how, you know that feeling you have when, when you feel just that blood pressure boiling on the inside? And you, you know that your mouth is about to start flapping, but you need to keep it shut? You know that feeling I'm talking about? Have you ever just let it go and yelled at somebody? Be honest, it felt good, didn't it? For a moment. It's kind of like acting out with an addiction. It feels good for a minute, then you feel horrible later, or you should. See, that's the kind of stuff that we have to make sure that we, that, we, that we keep in check. And here's an important truth, and I'm going to say this. Oh, my goodness. This is a hard truth, folks. Listen very carefully. If we are fighting, if we are arguing, if we're bickering, then we are still spiritually immature. You may think that you're mature, but you are still spiritually immature. Paul when he was writing to the very divided church in Corinth, and folks, let me tell you something. This church was divided. They were divided on the core doctrines. I don't have it up anymore. They were divided on the core doctrines. They were, they were denying the resurrection. They were divided on the important truths. Uh, they were dividing over spiritual uh, gifts. They were dividing over the moral truths. You had a guy that was in the church that was having sexual relations with his own mother. And the church says, hey, grace has got it covered, man. They had all kinds of issues that were going on. They were fighting over over opinions and strategies. They were fighting over personalities and ministers and people. Paul says, guys, I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then he goes on to say, brothers, sisters, I can't address you. I can't, I can't address you as, as people who, what? who live by the Spirit. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Aren't you acting like mere humans? See, listen, if we're in Christ, we're not mere humans anymore. The Bible says that you've been born from above. You're born again. And if you have God's Holy Spirit presence inside of you, then we're not mere humans anymore. We are divine, recreated humans under the authority of God who has been sent here to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. We got to think differently, folks. That's why when Paul, when these people in the church, they were fighting and taking each other to the court, Paul, it blew Paul's mind. He says, guys, you are still thinking like worldly people. He says, don't you know that one day you are going to sit on thrones and judge the angels? And you stop me you think about that. He says, since that's the case, you need to learn how to figure things out between each other. Because you're not living like superhumans. I want to use that word, superhuman. You're not living like... Christians, divine people who have the Holy Spirit inside of them, you're living like mere human beings so to pursue and live in unity we have to seek to deal with the flesh when it asserts itself and that's not easy, you know why? because sometimes we offend others we say things in a way and maybe it didn't come out the right way Um, Pam did you have a thought? Huh? oh you're just reading, my apologies Pam Thank you. Uh, but sometimes we offend others because of how we said something to them in a way that made them feel a certain way. Maybe we did something. Maybe we didn't do something that we were supposed to do, and it it it, it made them feel offended and get hurt. Sometimes some people have such an issue with pride, they don't even know how to say I'm sorry. I remember one time I was serving in this church, and um, there was this one woman, and she wasn't she wasn't the kindest lady in the church. And I was preaching this sermon one day, and I, I said something. I don't know what it was, but she thought that I was speaking directly to her. She thought I was calling her out. And I didn't see her for a few weeks, and I started noticing that she wasn't there. And, and finally, I started asking around, and I found out that she, was, she wasn't gone. She was still going to her Bible class, but she was refusing to come to the worship service because of me. And so I found out that I had somehow offended this woman. And so obviously when I found out that I had offended her, I wanted to try to resolve it and try to bring some kind of reconciliation. So the very next day, I go to her work and I said, I'm I'm sorry, you know, I I apologize. It it was certainly nothing that I intended to do. Now, did I have to apologize? I didn't have to. I mean, I, I, I didn't do it, honestly, you know that's something I don't do from the pulpit. I, I that's kind of cheap. I don't take cheap jabs from the pulpit, but 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 I had hurt her. Do you see what I'm saying? I still had hurt her, even though it right or wrong, it still happened. And so, what does God tell me to do? He tells me to try to seek reconciliation. And sometimes, watch this: you seek reconciliation even if you are right. If Jesus is willing to unjustly go to the cross, well, guess what? I can unjustly take a comment from someone else. But so often we shut it down right there. Oh, you offended me. I'm not going to talk to you no more. Then we start talking about them behind their back. Then we start having church factions. And then we just go right down to the street down the corner. Folks, we got to be better than that. Now, unfortunately, that... um, that woman never forgave me. And I've said a long time ago, and if you ever have any counseling with me, and, and, and especially if we're talking about how to communicate and how to deal with, with conflict resolution and things like that, I use this analogy all the time. It's like sweeping your side of the street. When people argue and fight, it's like they're dumping their garbage in the road. Well, guess what? When there's a bunch of, when there's a bunch of garbage in the road, nobody can move forward, right? So what you do, you sweep your side of the street. Always make sure your side of the street is clean. And unfortunately, even with apologizing to this woman for something that I didn't do, she never could sweep her side. So as we close, I want to read to you one more passage of Scripture, this time from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's in prison in Rome. And he's thinking about what are the the most important things that this church needs to hear. And he says these words in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. He says, I urge you, To live a life, now listen, let's listen to what the Spirit's saying to us. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Listen to this very carefully. You ready for this? If you are in Christ, you are already one. See, you thought this whole time that I was trying to devise yet another program to bring us together as one, right? No. In Christ, we are already one because of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that in that text of Ephesians 4 1 through 6, he did not say, Go and become united? He didn't say, hey, church, y'all get together and make sure you work on your unity. He said, make every effort to what? Keep it. The moment you've been baptized, you've received it. You're in his kingdom. Now live it out. Live it out. Let it be lived out through you. Keep that unity because in God's eyes, he has one church. And I don't care what name is on the front of that church. He's got one church. So keep that unity. Hold on to that unity. I'll tell you what, I think we have grieved the Holy Spirit. We have grieved Him because of not only our lack of understanding of His role in our lives, but because we have been so spiritually immature with our many different divisions. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is that divine spiritual unity that we were talking about earlier that stands firm on the essential core doctrines about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And I want to close here and listen how Paul concludes this chapter. He addresses the one thing that will keep them from this type of unity. And what was the one thing I told you earlier it is? Somebody say it. The flesh. Listen to what he says. Let's just read it. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ. And we taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give to the devil a foothold in your life. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths He has forgiven you. I'm going to stop here. Listen, I believe, i told you this, and I know it probably makes me sound like a nut, but I believe with all my heart, God is going to do a revival in this nation. And, and I think Snyder is going to be a part of that. And I've already told you before that that's why our family moved out here. And I believe that in the months and the years ahead, we are going to begin to see more and more of the working and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his his church. But like we saw at Cane Ridge, that special blessing that they had, it came with a price. And that price was, were we willing, are we willing, to get out of our comfort zones, to get together with people that you may not necessarily tend to get along with or get together with, Are we willing to lay aside all the different types of church backgrounds and differences, lay aside our our misgivings and our ways of thinking and humble ourselves and repent of our sins and, listen, repent of the sins of this nation and to pursue God with all of our heart? Let me tell you what will happen if we do that. The Bible tells us exactly what the promise is. Psalm 133 verses 1 through 3 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is. When brothers dwell in unity, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. I love that picture. Running down on the collar of his robes. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a beautiful flowing, outpouring, if you will, of God's blessing and his grace. Running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. For where? For there. I want you to say it with me. For there. One more time. For there. The Lord has commanded the blessing. When? when? When brothers dwell in unity. When brothers dwell in unity. What can happen if we do this? What can happen if we lay aside our, difference, our differences? If we humble ourselves and sweep our side of the street? If we repent of our sins and together pursue God with all of our hearts, the Bible says if we do that, God will command a blessing. He will command a blessing. So here's where the rubber meets the road. When things... I mentioned last week that this arrangement that we have here, it's kind of like a marriage. If you truly believe in the covenant of your marriage, then when something negative goes wrong in your marriage, do you cut, bait, and run? No. If you truly believe in the covenant that God has given you in marriage, you will do what it takes to work it out. You will do what it takes to go through the process of healing so that the relationship can be restored. And um, so here's the question I want to ask. This is, uh, hmm. let's do it. Who do you have an issue with right now in this church? Let's have a moment of silence. Because at this point, I'm going to stop and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit just start speaking to you. Who is it in this congregation that has offended you? Who is it right now, whose face is coming up in your heart right now that you know that there is a rift in the relationship because of either something you've done or because of something that they've done. Jesus said a long time ago, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If Jesus tells us to love our enemies, how much more are we supposed to love the people that sit in these pews? If Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, how much more should we be praying for the people in our own congregation that we know has the Spirit of God that we may not agree with? You say, well, I just can't forgive. Do you realize how arrogant of a statement that is? Because if you look at your life and you look at everything that you've been forgiven, everything that you've done in your life, when you accepted Christ and you started seeing an amazing grace, you were so happy because He forgave you of all of your sins. He saved a wretch like me. If he can forgive you for everything you've done, then certainly you can find it in your heart to forgive those who have hurt you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, well, I promise he said in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, therefore, is it up there now? Okay, spirit's playing jokes on me. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. I want to encourage you to do something. Don't come back to church next Sunday. Don't come back to church next Sunday unless you have made an effort To make amends to that person. Because I'm not. I don't want to just get up here. And preach sermons guys. I want this to be us. I've served in churches for 20 years. and I have seen nothing but division. And my heart longs. For Acts chapter 2. Because I believe that if we do it, if we really love each other and be the unique, different place that's so rare in this world that it's going to do something in this house. And it will command a blessing from the father because the father is going to take notice and he's going to say, you know what? That person could have held on to that grudge. But even though their heart was hurting, even though everything inside of them was wanting to leave the church and go somewhere else, they stayed. They worked it out. They sat with the elders. They cried. They, they allowed space and time and the Holy Spirit to do the work and the changing and the conviction. They stayed together. And then God says if we do that, He will command a blessing from heaven. And if we can just not have a myopic vision of what that looks like, if we can have just a bigger vision of what God has called us to do instead of just coming to church and sitting in a pew, that we have been called to go on mission for the father then maybe he will empower us then with the Holy Spirit and the gifts to be able to carry it out but we got to be willing to be selfless and let it go are you willing to do that this morning now that person that came up in your mind I'm serious call them this week get together find an elder a preacher somebody and get together with them and seek reconciliation can you do that that's what the Lord has commanded Let's pray. Our Father, God, we know that you love the world and that you want to show your love through us. And so God, do whatever heart surgeries need to happen inside of us right now so that we let go of the pride that keeps us from being able to say, I'm sorry. That keeps us from being able to to make amends to that person. That, that, that keeps us from being able to love them based upon your agape love and instead trying to love them based upon what our expectations of them are. I pray, Father, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to live these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.